So we're entering into the last week of Ordinary Time. Next week, we celebrate the Feast of Christ the King, and then we'll start the season of Advent. And so at this time in our liturgical calendar, everything starts to point towards this second coming of Jesus into the world, or the end of time. Which is always a fascinating topic, because it's sort of one of those things, every time something goes wrong in the church, people start asking this question like, are we at the end of the time? Which isn't necessarily a bad question to ask. And it's a question that's been pondered for a very long time. And as we read through the first letter of St. John, he writes as if, like, the time is approaching. In St. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he writes them saying, like, okay, like, you have to get on with your lives because, like, you can't just, like, quit doing everything because you think Jesus is coming back again. And so we've always kind of lived in that tension. You know, right now, I think the current crisis that we're going through in the church is an occasion for lots of people to ponder that question because, you know, people in our own generation, in our own time, we've never known a time of division like the time of division that we're in now. We haven't had to live through a time when There are people who lack confidence in the Holy Father. We haven't had to live in a time when bishops are so divided over issues. In the past, when those times have happened, you know, they happened at some ecumenical council where St. Nicholas punched out Arius. And it wasn't reported on Twitter. You know, it would have taken months to find out what the Pope said at a gathering of bishops as the news traveled across the ocean and sometimes the ship like wrecked and then they didn't find out until like much later. Somebody was telling me about their diocesan history where there was a bishop who was appointed but then like Rome didn't even know that he died in an accident on his way there and so like they didn't realize that diocese had no bishop for like two or three years. Because communication was different, and now communication is immediate, and so we hear like every little thing, and it gives the evil one a chance to plant doubt in our hearts as we talk about really difficult things. But we certainly do live in a difficult time. And, you know, one of the, the things I've been reflecting on, it's a matter of private revelation, which I don't often take a lot of stock in or promote. Um, They're fine, you know, we're allowed to believe them, but you don't have to believe them. They fall in that, like, gray area that sometimes we don't like if we're black and white people. Um, But it's been interesting to ponder because, you know, there was this revelation to Pope Leo XIII where he had this vision of this conversation between Jesus and the devil. And the devil says... If you give me 75 to 100 years, I can destroy the church from the inside. And Jesus says, okay, you can have that time. So interestingly, about 33 years later to the day was the miracle of the sun at Fatima. 
So I just think it's interesting that it was 33 years to the day that the miracle of the son at Fatima came, which is like this huge kind of sign from God that, okay, something's going to happen now. And it was exactly the lifespan of Jesus, which could be interpreted as like a period of preparation. And then a hundred years, a hundred years and two days. So we'll throw a two day buffer in there. After the miracle of the son at Fatima, the hashtag MeToo movement started on social media. Which I just find very interesting because the hashtag MeToo movement was, is really a sort of lifting of the silence about sin in various organizations that had masqueraded as virtues. And so in the entertainment industry, it's revealed to us that all of the kind of corrupt, explicit media that we're seeing was written or produced by people who were offenders. So no wonder the boundaries around media and sexuality and media have been loosened so much because it's being written and produced by offenders. So that truth is revealed. This truth about, you know, corruption within politics is revealed. And then finally, this truth and corruption in the church is revealed. And so there's a way of looking at this and saying, okay, so a hundred years later, our Lord's going to lift the veil of secrecy and like we're going to see like sin for what it is so that he can start to heal it. Because the way the evil one works in our life is for us to not consider things to be sin that are sin. Or to allow things to be perpetrated in secret. And there's a certain evil spirit that penetrates all of this kind of corruption, and that spirit is a spirit of muteness or a spirit of silence. It's the spirit that makes us not want to speak the truth about things. It's the spirit that makes us not want to expose sin and corruption and things of that nature. And it's like that spirit has been lifted. So our Lord can heal it. And so in the midst of that's created a great amount of turmoil. Now I asked somebody one day, so let's just say all that this is true and this is like a proper context. And like, let's say we believed that Leo XIII's revelation was true. What did you think it would look like after 100 years was over? Well, I just kind of thought everybody would be like frolicking and happy and joyful. (laughs) But you have 100 years of the devil messing with the church to deal with. And so we live in this kind of time of turmoil. Which is not foreign to the kind of turmoil that the church has been through before in its history. It's not foreign to the culture that St. John was preaching into and speaking into in his writings. And so being prepared to encounter Jesus when he comes means that we return to that place of abiding in him and trusting in him 
that he's the one that's going to sort all these things out. And so our Lord tells us to discern the times that we're in. You know, to look at, when we look at the fig tree, we know that summer is near. So in the same way, when you see things happening, know that he is near at the gates. Know that the Lord is near. Which, like almost everything else in our faith life, is counterintuitive. Like when we see everything falling apart, we think, oh, Jesus must have left us. But instead he says, when you see things falling apart, know that he is near. That he's about to do something. St. John Vianney would interpret a lot of his own temptation as like something big's about to happen. So there's like these stories about him being like attacked by demons in his bed. And his response to that was, there must be a big fish coming in. Like there must be something really important coming. Some sinner that's been away from the church for a long time is going to come to confession. Somebody is coming that needs to encounter our Lord. And so the distraction in my life is a sign that our Lord's near and he's going to do something. And what keeps us from recognizing him as being near is that fear that we can have when things are uncertain. And so we're called to be prepared to encounter our Lord when he comes. Which means being prepared for him when he comes at the end of time. And the way we practice for that is to be prepared to encounter him when he comes into our life in the normal moments of everyday life. Now, going back to the model of the beloved disciple and abiding in our Lord so that we really wouldn't live our lives any differently if we knew it was really going to end tomorrow. There's a story of Dominic Savio that he was out playing ball or something when he was a boy, and somebody asked him, so if Jesus was going to come back and the world was going to end tomorrow, what would you be doing today? And he said, well, I'd be playing ball. Like, I'd just be doing whatever I'm doing because, like, I'm always ready for him to come. I wouldn't, like, run to confession or, you know, make amends with somebody or I wouldn't do all those things because, like, I'm always living my life as if I'm ready. And that's the goal. Like, that's what holiness looks like. That's what sanctity looks like. It looks like living our lives every day, ready to receive our Lord when he comes. Not delaying our conversion to him. And that's a message that we need to hear over and over and over again. Because life catches up with us and we start delaying our conversion. There's a line in the book of Sirach that says, Delay not your conversion to the Lord. 
I remember I was at West Point. I was on a retreat, and uh, and I was praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament, I think, at the time. But I had no devotion to praying, praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament. It just seemed like a good idea to do at the time. And I decided to play, like, Tuck Thumbs Bible, you know. Like, we used to have Tuck Thumbs books when we were a kid. It was, like, Shell Stove, Silverstein poems, and you just, like, go like this, and you open the book, and you read that one. So I did that with Scripture, and I opened it up, and I pointed to the page, and it said, Delay not your conversion to the Lord. And I remember being totally freaked out by this because I was discerning, like, do I leave West Point and become a priest? Like, what do I do? And I went to the priest, and I was, like, shaking. Like, this is what happened. And he just looked at me, and he goes, and? Sometimes I wish that he would have given me a little more of an exhortation. Or asked me what conversion I was delaying, that might have been helpful. But we can often find ourselves like in that. Uh, like, I'll get around to it tomorrow, I'll do it later, I'll be better later. But during the Advent season, what we're focusing on is preparing our hearts to receive Him and living our life every day in a, in a way in which we're prepared. To receive him. Part of the grace of the current kind of crisis is it can be a reminder to us of the things that we're supposed to be doing anyways, which is to be prepared in our hearts, to draw closer to our Lord, to be confident in him, to abide in him, to focus on him. To recognize that he is the one that acts in our lives. And he's the source of our peace. He's the source of our joy. He's the source of everything. And so as we prepare to leave this place and to go into this Advent season, there's just an opportunity to continue to reflect on the themes from the retreat as we go into the Advent season in this time of waiting and preparation. To reflect on ways in which we can make space in our life for abiding in his love. And that might mean having, like, technology-free zones of time within our weekend. It might mean carving out a little bit of time each day to reap the, some of the benefits of silence that we've experienced this weekend. Is it have kind of like mini retreat periods of our day? You know, a friend of mine who used to be in religious life, he, when he does marriage counseling, he talks about how, like in religious life, there's kind of these structures. Like every single day, you have to spend an hour in front of the Blessed Sacrament with Jesus. Every single week, they would close the friary 
on Saturday and they'd have a day of recollection. Every single month they'd have a weekend retreat. And every year they'd have like a week-long retreat. And so, like you're not religious people, religious life people. But is it possible to scale that back so that you're doing like 10 minutes a day, an hour a week, like a weekend a year? No, that can be more doable. To just block out time to abide with our Lord. You know, in married life, it's important to do the same thing in spending time with each other. Like 10-minute dates every day. Like, it's 10 minutes. Your date might be like, sit there, hold hands, and talk. An hour a week where you go to coffee. A proper date every month. A weekend away a year. Those kind of things in order to keep your relationship fruitful, you know, and communication open in order to abide in each other's love, which is also a great reminder, you know, within the married vocation of our need to abide in our Lord's love. And so today, let us pray that, you know, as we renew our relationship with our Lord, that we carry forward this theme of abiding in him, following the example of the beloved disciple. That our Lord truly may be glorified in us and we may bring him glory in every thought, word, and work of our lives.